Lingering questions and concerns tonight following a state Supreme Court ruling that will change who can be an independent contractor. Ruling from the state Supreme Court has millions of independent contractors looking for answers across the state, changing how workers are classified and how businesses are operated. I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, a California dispute with major ramifications for workers and businesses. It revolves around a seemingly simple question. Who is a contractor and who is an employee? Is a barber a contractor? Is an Uber driver an employee? Today we have a conversation between business editor Owen Thomas and reporter Carolyn Saeed, who covers the gig economy for The Chronicle. And they're going to talk about the ramifications of a fight that is still playing out. Right after this. Hello, I'm Owen Thomas, business editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, and I'm here with one of my reporters, Carolyn Saeed. Carolyn has been covering the gig economy for several years. Carolyn, welcome. Thanks so much. So, Carolyn, why is this issue of independent contractors versus employees, the classification of workers, why is it so hot right now? I mean, we've been talking about this as a factor in the, the gig economy for several years, right? One pivotal event has made it come to a head. Last year, the California Supreme Court unanimously ruled in a case called Dynamex that um, California needs to apply different standards to for companies to decide how to classify workers. They made it much more difficult for companies to say that workers are independent contractors. Basically, if a, if a worker does um, work that is central to the company's business, if the company controls that worker's work, and if the worker does not have their own independent business doing that work, they said that worker should be an employee. So that happened um, a little over a year ago and did not result in widespread reclassification yet. But then the, the corollary to that is there is now a bill moving its way through the California legis legislature, AB5, that would codify and extend dynamics and would also provide exemptions for some um, professions and industries. So that has um, moved all the focus to Sacramento, where there is a huge battle raging with companies fighting against this bill and labor and other activists fighting for it. And before this, really, uh, the primary kind of regulation was um, the Internal Revenue Service rules on whether someone's an employee or, or a contractor. And that test uh, had several factors, but um, it was kind of seen as easier to make someone a contractor under, under that regime than the new Dynamex regime. Is that correct? Um, the, the previous standard in California came from a case called Borello, mm -hmm. and that applied an eight-part test. So it was easier to make somebody a contractor under that than it is under Dynamex, yes. Okay, so California already had a slightly stricter standard, but this really tightens it up. Is it going to be, uh, is it going to be possible to have contractors in, in your business? I mean, is this, is this so sweeping that it really does away with independent contractors as a as a business concept? Well, there's a couple of ways that independent contractors would still remain. That's a good question, by the way. First of all, if, if you have a business, say you're Uber and the plumbing breaks and you hire a plumber to come in and fix it, that person is an independent contractor because plumbing is not central to Uber's business. Secondly, the AB5 legislation exempts a broad variety of professions and industries, including doctors, lawyers, architects, engineers, accountants, real estate agents, and also hairstylists and barbers. The unifying theme there is those are all 
professions in which the practitioner sets their own rates and controls their own business. So many of those are are professions that that require some level of education, but hairstylists and barbers do not. However, they do set their own rates and they make direct contact with their own clients. But but for um, gig workers who do not set their own rates, where a marketplace or intermediary like Uber and Lyft sets the rates, and when that marketplace or intermediary you know, makes the contact with the customer under AB5 and under Dynamex, those are the people who would have to become employees. And historically, in lawsuits over employee status, Uber has made the, made the argument that it's a technology company, that drivers are really its customers, and that it's just forwarding them, you know, forwarding them rides. Right. Uber has made that argument, but I don't know that that argument has found a lot of credence. Um the the lawsuits against Uber so far, there have been a, some class action lawsuits against Uber, but they have been limited because Uber has most drivers sign an agreement saying that they um, agree to arbitration, which precludes them from being part of a class action case. So there's been class action cases that have only re- involved a small subset of drivers who did not sign those agreements. However, many drivers have gone to Uber for arbitration over misclassification, and Uber has disclosed that it has paid millions of dollars in those arbitration cases. It works out to like maybe $3,000 a driver, but mm-hmm. it's a lot of drivers have gone to it for these misclassification cases one-on-one. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. a constant small pecking away at them. But generally, uh, generally, Uber has avoided any kind of precedent in court. They've settled rather than get a ruling that drivers are employees. Yeah, that is true. Now, there's no kind of out-of-courtroom negotiation that can happen here. This is in Sacramento. This month, it will be AB5 will be heard by the Senate. Is that right? That is right. But it, it is there are many negotiations going on in Sacramento. There is actually a fervent, constant meetings going on between gig companies, labor, lawmakers, and I believe the governor's office is, in, is involved as well. Uber and Lyft have made an offer. They put it on the table through an op-ed in our very own newspaper, the San Francisco Chronicle, written by the heads of Uber and Lyft. And their offer is this. They would like legislation enshrining their drivers as independent contractors. In exchange, they're offering flexible, portable benefits. They're offering a voice for drivers through some kind of um, you know, driver association that would be run by organized labor and would run those benefits and would also provide some kind of recourse for drivers who get deactivated, which is the word they use for fired. And they're offering some kind of wage, guaranteed wage floor for drivers. Some, you know, um, they haven't said exactly what it would be, but I would think it would have to be at least minimum wage after expenses that would just cover drivers from the time that they accept a ride request until the ride is over. It would not cover the time when they are just um, driving around. So these negotiations are proceeding at a feverish pace in Sacramento. And it, you know, it's, uh, who knows? It's, it is certainly possible that something could come out of them. So the the legislation could get amended to include these, you know, this proposal, essentially. Right. Or a second or some... piece of legislation could come into being that would enshrine this proposal or something like it. But right now, if AB5 passes in its current state, Uber and Lyft will suddenly have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of employees. That is right. Uber has said that they have over 100,000 drivers in California. I think Lyft probably has somewhat fewer and there's a fair amount of overlap. But yes, there would be more than 100,000. Um, AB5 also would require some kind of enforcement mechanism. The AB5 itself does not wave the magic wand and overnight turn all these people into employees. 
but the state through the labor commissioner's office, through the EDD, through um, the, the franchise tax board, presumably could go after companies that it felt were not in compliance. Uber and Lyft have both gone public this year. Did they disclose the level of risk that they have around this issue? They did. It? Uber went on at some length and, and, and Lyft did as well in their public filings, um, specifically talking about California, um, but but also in general, that if their workers were reclassified as employees, it would hurt their business. And there, there's two main reasons for that. One is money. It costs about 30% more for a company to have an employee because they have to pay, you know, they have to pay withholding. They pay the social security tax, which is 6.5%. They pay um, disability insurance. They pay workers comp. And usually they provide a variety of benefits. They pay minimum wage. They pay overtime. They pay expenses. That all adds up. The second thing that Uber and Lyft emphasize even more is flexibility. Their business model depends on ultimate flexibility and on them being able to entice drivers at times of maximum need. Um, they say if they had to have drivers as, as employees, they would have to schedule them and it would make it much more difficult for them to make sure to always have cars when and where they need them. The jury is still out on whether or not that's the case. There really is not a business model. It's true. As they say, there is not really an existing business model of an employer that allows its workers to punch in and out at will whenever they want. You know, when you get a job at a retailer or at a restaurant, they schedule you on specific shifts and you have to show up at those times. And yeah, you can't imagine Starbucks running with, uh, you know, baristas just showing up when exactly they, when exactly. they have a little extra time. Yeah. Um, and you found it in your reporting. One great question you asked is, so if it's so terrible being a ride hail driver, why are drivers doing it? And you found a number of interesting reasons on, on why they drive. Yeah, that is true. And and first of all, you know, although there have been a number of protests this year and, and the, that have, those have gotten a lot of attention and the people involved in those press to protests do feel very strongly that they are, are being mistreated, they are a very, very small subset of Uber and Lyft drivers. So we're not really sure how widespread the discontent is. The days that they had strikes, there were the as far as anybody could tell, um, the capacity was just the same as usual. Nevertheless, for the people who are unhappy, you know, a key thing is that flexibility that we're talking about. You know, they're really for the, the alternative of working in at Starbucks or working at McDonald's or working at a store requires scheduling for people who have family commitments. That is really difficult. So this, you know, Uber and Lyft, um, you know, created this whole new category of work where you could decide when and to clock in and when to clock out. And that is really like priceless for some people. You know, uh, many of the drivers who work for Uber and Lyft work extremely part time, you know, more than 80 percent, I think, work less than 20 hours a week. So they're doing it on top of another job to sort of fill in. And again, that that's um, it's harder to find very part time work that still pays a decent wage. And then those drivers who work much, much more, the drivers who work like around the clock and drive 50, 60 hours a week, uh, maybe six days a week and are more like the classic profile of a taxi driver. Many of them are people with significant barriers to employment. They're recent immigrants who do not have strong English language skills or, or strong education. And, and there are not a lot of other options for them. And this has been a really good option for them. So that keeps them coming back too. So a wholesale reclassification of ride-hail drivers in particular to employees, it sounds like it would have some bad consequences, not just for the companies, but for the drivers. Well, that that could be the case. I mean, Uber and Lyft have been going to the drivers 
asking them to help advocate against AB5, saying, do you want to lose that flexibility you love? You'll lose all the flexibility. You'll lose all the flexibility. Again, they, they do have some specific arguments about why they would need to you know, make drivers be scheduled more, but we don't really know. It certainly could be possible with all the miracles of um, software and algorithms that they could figure out a way for drivers to still have flexibility. But yes, many drivers say they don't want to be employees because they don't want to lose that flexibility. And also it's important to note, it's not just Uber and Lyft drivers we're talking about here with AB5. It applies to a broad range of professions and industries. Truck drivers, for instance, many of them who've invested like literally $100,000 in buying a big rig truck say they do not want to be employees. The author of AB5 is actually looking at an exemption for those trucker owner operators. Um, I've heard from people who who do have run translating businesses where they're um, constantly on the road going to conferences or hospitals or courtrooms to provide um, translation. And they say they should be independent contractors too. You know, in fact, under the uh, AB5 exemptions, it seems like they might get that because they do set their own rates in many of those instances. But there are many workers who currently work as independent contractors who say they want to remain as independent contractors. There are also many workers who say they would prefer to be employees because they want those benefits. They want that social safety net. Does this put a monkey wrench in the whole category of gig startups that kind of, you know, whip up an app and sign up a bunch of workers as as contractors and and find customers. I mean, is that it doesn't seem like as many startups, um, you know, the quote unquote Uber of X have been funded recently. Do you think Silicon Valley is moving away from the category in part because of the regulatory risk here? I don't think so much the regulatory risk as as I think it, that the Uber of X trend may have run its course. I mean, we've already had the Uber of X for so many categories. Um, However, there have been some startups that have started up with with sort of a gig model, but out of the gate have chosen to make their workers employees. I'm thinking of Managed by Q, which does office cleaning, and there, there's several others. So, um, you know, it, it, you can have a gig type company and have an employee structure. They're not mutually exclusive. We do have a, a very large example here in California of widespread reclassification, which is the marijuana industry. Mm-hmm. Starting in January a year ago, the legislature said that marijuana companies, um, dr- uh, the people who deliver it, needed to be employees. And the marijuana companies did not want to have any kind of regulatory fights on their hands. And they said, fine, and they reclassified the drivers. And we haven't really heard that that was a big issue. Because it's a high value product. And I think demand is probably predictable. Um, But I do know when we wrote about that issue, some of the drivers said, hey, I did lose some flexibility. um, Right. But I like the benefits. Right. So what's next? We have to see where AB5 goes in the Senate. And then if it passes uh, without some kind of broad exemption for ride-hail drivers, will there be more recourse for Uber and Lyft to fight? Or is that it? Well, if it passes the Senate next, it goes to the governor. And the governor has not signaled where he stands on this issue. He's trying to be very diplomatic because he is very close to organized labor, which supports AB5. And he is very close to technology companies, which oppose AB5. So he's walking a very delicate tightrope. And he has sort of been the you know invisible or not so invisible hand fueling these negotiations in Sacramento and saying to both sides, get in a room and figure something out. Should we be optimistic to see some kind of settlement, some kind of compromise, uh, creative solution, possibly? I think that's certainly possible. But 
it remains to be seen. <laughs> and what does it mean for passengers, for riders uh, of these ride hail services? It's perfectly possible that their rates will go up. It's also it's possible their rates will go up no matter what, because Uber and Lyft lose money hand over fist. And Wall Street is not as tolerant of that as their venture deep pocketed venture capitalists have been. So all along, it's, it's looming that rates may go up in Uber and Lyft's proposal. As it stands now, they're talking about with the drivers remaining independent contractors, that they would put a surcharge on each ride to go into this benefits fund. So riders would be paying more for that anyway. If the drivers do become employees and Uber and Lyft have to dig even deeper for all those benefits, I think it's certainly plausible that they would pass along some or all of that cost to riders. I mean, that's what's happened in, say, at San Francisco restaurants with the city's various rules. When you pay your bill at a San Francisco restaurant, yeah, I've seen the healthy SF surcharge and right. also just right. a, an SF ordinances surcharge. That's right. my favorite is right. <laughs> we're going to charge you more simply because there are rules in San Francisco. Yeah. Well, I think what what I'm hearing is that if, uh, if you've been enjoying a cheap venture-fueled uh, ride around town with Uber and Lyft, that ride may be coming to an end, but it may mean better working conditions uh, for for drivers and some big changes for business. Yeah, that's true. And again, it, it was going to be true whether or not AB5 happens because Uber and Lyft need to make money. But I think that for riders, if they know that they're paying more to support a living wage and benefits for Uber and Lyft drivers, that might be more palatable, just like people who will pay more for fair trade, who will pay more for bought made in America. I think riders might be more accepting if they know that they're paying more to help drivers have enjoy a decent standard of living. So if you see an AB5 surcharge <laughs> on your next Uber receipt, uh, you'll know where it all comes from. Well, Carolyn, thank you very much for explaining this uh, complex but fascinating issue. And we hope to have you back soon to update us on where things are going. Thanks so much. There will be more. <laughs> more will be revealed. Thank you to staff writer Carolyn Saeed and business editor Owen Thomas. To Libby Coleman for producing this episode, and thank you for joining us. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.